0: Well, hello and welcome back, friends. This episode sponsored by our generous patrons over on patreon.com forward slash redhills rancher. You can find a link for that in the show notes. Last week I added a few things to my Amazon wish list. The easiest way to see what I have on there is also to go to my link tree. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. I did get some hats made and they look absolutely awesome. Uh, I've had I've had them for a while and I'm still trying to figure out how to get them in your hands with an easy shipping option that's less than 10 bucks. That's not going to break the bank for me. So if you have some suggestions for that. I'd appreciate it. Now on with the show. Many of you have written in with questions and suggestions and sometimes I get a little bit caught up and don't always respond right away and I'm trying to improve on that. For this week we're going to do a fan request. My friend Trevor is here today and I'm sort of turning the show over to him. I have no idea what he's going to ask but then again I usually don't have much of a plan when I do a show either. So hi Trevor, welcome back. Thanks for having me Brian. Good to be back. Well i I kind of don't know what to expect, but uh, I guess that being said, I still get to edit this thing when we're all done. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, there's nothing, nothing too salacious.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sure. So uh, how have things been up there in North Dakota since I saw you?
1: Um, man, things have kind of taken a 180. When we talked, it was damn dry and we were preparing for another drought. And, uh, it was looking dry until middle of April. And then we got back-to-back blizzards uh within a week we got two blizzards in within a week one dropped about 20 inches on us one about 30 inches of snow and uh since then it's we've been getting between a half inch and an inch of rain every week since then it's uh it's amazing how things can turn around and we have a lot of grass this year and it's it's a nice change over the last couple years
0: well if you get to the point where you think you've had enough rain I will take any of it you have to spare cuz I haven't I haven't got any. It's just been it's been super dry. May and June so far have been very underwhelming and I am preparing to destock very soon. Before this episode comes out, I will have destocked.
1: Oh man, yeah, sorry to hear that. Do you mean to rub uh, rub all my rain in your face?
0: Oh, it's, <laughs> it 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 rains on the just and the unjust alike, I think that's what yeah. that's what I always heard. <laughs> yeah for sure you just pay the preacher a little bit more you live close <laughs> yeah, i guess to we, clay must, we, we,
1: we must pray a little harder up here or have been lately
0: <laughs> you live closer to clay connery he's got more of a oh yeah line, I guess. yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah uh thank him for that
0: yeah yeah so uh what else has been new what uh you got anything new going on up there
1: uh well i guess on the the oil field business side uh is that to listen to the last episode i, I ranch as well as running an oil field business uh that's really been picking up lately with with the higher prices so I've been really busy with that and uh just busy moving cattle um ended up selling our cattle after, after ranching for profit we went to ranching for profit in january right after we recorded our episode and uh yeah my there suspicions that that's what we were going to learn uh there was was correct uh dave pratt was our teacher and uh Bailey, my wife, uh, and Dave sat down, uh, I think it, what is it Tuesday? You do finances Tuesday evening, uh, sat down and had a beer with him and kind of told him our situation. And yeah, I guess the thing he said, if, if I handed you $200,000 right now for your cow herd, I mean, what would you do with it? And what, what could you do with that? And it's just like, man, if I had, you know, that chunk of money for those cows, we could pay off a lot of. A lot of debt and that would relieve a lot of pressure and then just looking at the long-term profitability um, of it we were our, our gross margin on a cow calf pair was about 275 dollars uh, profit at the end of the year and uh we also had started running some custom grazers last year and running a custom grazer for five months our profit was about 210 dollars and so and that's running for five months compared running a cow for for 12. And so it was a pretty easy decision. If we got rid of the cows, paid down some debt, and then just took on custom grazers and ran, you know, 50 to 100% more of those custom grazers for that five months, um, we're gonna end up with a lot more profit than we are with uh, running a cow calf herd. So that's the decision we made. We got the cows sold and uh, yeah, now we're 100% a custom grazing operation.
0: And here I am. I go to ranching for profit and I go the other way. I buy cows and (laughs) a lot of money on them and trying to develop something really weird that nobody else is doing, but uh, that's okay. Dallas, Dallas has his own opinion about what I'm doing, I think, (laughs) 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 or maybe he doesn't even care. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I appreciate everything they teach in ranching for profit. I don't want to take anything away from that at all, but it seems like a lot of people are getting, you know, that's what the numbers are telling them that they need to be doing is custom grazing or custom grazing on leased land. And I get it, I totally get it. It makes a lot of a lot of sense from a business perspective. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to grow the cows. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, you know, we've I feel like I've got to, you know, from what I see wrong with the industry, I can't talk about it without actively trying to change something. So that's that's some of my my justification for uh for the lack of profitability that I've seen in my cow herd for the last couple of years. I mean, it's a development program. And, um, you know, that being said, I've been sitting here the last few days, um, you know, making this destock decision and thinking about what I've got and trying to market it. And, you know, I've got some fall bred cows that uh, hopefully somebody will have given me quite a bit of bunch, quite a bit of money for. Yeah. It, you know, it, what's a, what's a cow worth that's been on an ultra, ultra low input in system. That's lived through the worst two winters in the plains for the last basically 100 years back to back on a low input system. That's fall bred to to a fleck the influence Semitol bull. That's grass developed. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it should be worth a premium. It should be. But, you know, I got to find those buyers. So Mm -hmm. if you're hearing this podcast uh, (laughs) and you really, really want some of those, give me a call. I might have a couple left
1: yeah and it was uh, the decision to get rid of our cows it wasn't an easy decision at all like uh I was kind of down the same road you're going down as far as low inputs and I feel like and I was developing some of our own bulls and I was really excited about a lot of the stuff we're doing but um just just where we're at with uh how much land we're we're trying to buy and our our land debt we just couldn't also have cow debt it was kind of kind of the the situation there was so it was definitely a hard hard decision but uh i think it was the right one
0: well uh as we're sitting here recording this a couple weeks ahead of release time um i do have a small note on my cows and i got a letter i got a half point increase so if you haven't got a half point increase yet on your on your cow notes or your operating notes y'all buckle up Better get ready because I think we're all we're all gonna get we're all gonna get a lot of increases in our in our operating notes real soon. I, yeah. I, that's that's kind of inevitable with the Fed raising interest rates.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. yeah, uh when I was kind of on the treadmill of of high inputs and and spending a bunch of money, I mean even at four and a half percent, the amount of interest we were paying at the end of the year was was a lot, uh like. At, at its peak, like 40, 50,000 in interest. And I mean, even one for a uh, half or 1% increase on that for, for some of these guys that use a lot of operating. I mean, that, that stacks up to a lot of money.
0: Yeah. And it can, you know, I I'd, I'd hate to have a farm operating note and have some equipment on it and, you know, be looking at a half a percent increase on a couple grand, a couple hundred thousand dollars or, you know, uh-huh. God forbid, two million bucks. Yeah. You know, just, especially, Especially with the way, you know, all the input prices are going, it's, it's kind of nuts. Yeah. I don't know how a
1: lot of guys are doing it with uh, with what fertilizer prices are and chemical prices and that, and yeah, obviously fuel prices, but it's crazy.
0: Well, and you know, like winter feed, you know, so we're talking about these low input operations. It's the middle of, it's, it's the first couple of days of summer, first couple of weeks of summer by the time you all listen to this. So what's everybody doing for winter protein? Have we all started thinking about what we're doing for winter protein yet, where we're going to get it and how much it's going to cost? Like I would encourage everybody to start thinking about that right now and get that contracted, get it bought, get it on the ranch. Because if you wait, it might not be there. You might not be able to get it or it might be 50 to hundred percent more expensive, which, man, I don't know. It's to me, the easiest anybody can graze a cow through the summer. Right. grazing cows in the summer is easy. It's keeping them in condition and keeping them alive on the pasture through the winter in good enough shape to where they rebreed. That's the challenge. And, you know, most people don't do it. Most people kind of take the easy way out and feed a lot or, you know, put them on cover crops or put them in a, put them in a dry lot and feed them. Hey, okay. If you do that, fine. That's fine. That's your program. But, um, I'm, I'm just really concerned that inputs aren't going to be available and As much as I hate to say it, I might even feed cubes this year. Just because, just because on a cost per ton basis, like I might, Uh I might have to eat some crow, and and if I can get some DDG pellets that are that are in the price range that I'm looking for to spend on protein, that might be what we do. But we're cutting the protein ration back from last year, like and last year we were on kind of a thin ration alfalfa, and I'm going to try to cut that even more this year to just to try. To keep reducing inputs as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a good strategy because yeah, you could end up with a whole bunch of money tied up in in feed and feeding this year with uh, with with what fuel prices are and equipment prices.
0: So um, there was one question that I saw about how to determine paddock size. That and and that kind of leads into like how to measure grass. So. That's it's a very complicated question, and it always depends on where you are. But the rules still are the same. And I learned the clip and way method. So, like uh, you know, Jim Garrish is a really good teacher. Of the clip and way. Charlie Orchard was was a really good teacher. I don't know if he's still around anymore or not. Um, but the basics of it is you either take a hoop or you take four rods out in the pasture that make a basically a square yard. Okay. And you go into that square yard and you clip everything off at the height that a cow would clip it. And you put that in a bag and you dry that. You dry it all the way down, get the moisture weight out of it, and then you weigh the dry matter. Okay. And then, you know, since you know it's a square yard, then you just take your, your ounces of dry matter times your square yards per acre and that gives you pounds per acre. Right. Okay. So once we arrive at a pounds per acre number, we know how much forage we have available in the pasture on a pounds-per-acre basis. okay. So now we need to take a little bit back off of that, because not there's very few pastures that I have that I can graze 100% of them that are 100% consistent. So I generally apply a fudge factor of about 75%. So we say we have, well, let's just say the gross measurement we come up with, and I'll throw numbers around that don't make sense, 4,000 pounds an acre. Okay, we're going to take 75 percent of that and say 75 percent of that is actually grazeable ground. So we have three thousand that that brings that number down to three thousand pounds per acre. Okay, are we following so far? Well, to determine how many cow days we have in there, it's pounds of grass per acre that we want to harvest. In this case, we could say, let's just take five hundred pounds per acre. Out of off of the three thousand that we have. And this will make sense in a minute. So we want to take 500 pounds per acre. And let's just say we have a 100 acre pasture. So that's a half a million or what, 50,000 pounds of grass, five, zero thousand pounds of grass. Okay. Now, how much grass are your cows eating? Well, I don't know. Well, go to the internet and look, your cows are eating 3% of their body weight, give or take a little bit. So we just take, we just, for ease of all these numbers, we just say that a cow is 1000 pounds. And that's one AU. And that one AU is going to eat 30 pounds of grass per day. Okay, so each AU is 30 pounds of grass, how many are in our herd? Let's just say we got 200. Okay, 200 times 30 pounds of grass a day. we need 6000 pounds of forage per day. And if we have 50,000 pounds of forage in our pasture, nine days, do you
1: actually clip and weigh, or are, is your eye trained enough now where you kind of, by looking at it, you know what you got?
0: Mostly, I do it by eye, but I still do some clip and weigh every year just to make sure I'm not bullshitting myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we got to have that reality check. And it's, you know, over the years, sometimes I'll drift one way, sometimes I'll drift the other way. But I need that reality check to make sure that I'm keeping my eyeballs calibrated. Because, you know, humans, we're funny creatures and we make, we invent shit all the time. We make things up. We tell ourselves lies. So we, <laughs> but you got to do the clipping way to keep yourself honest. There, the uh, Another way to do it, okay, is with a grazing stick. And a grazing uh-huh. stick is usually my fallback. And and grazing sticks are tough because it's not like you can just go on, you know, tractorsupply.com and order a grazing stick because they're- Doesn't, kinda, G,
1: doesn't Jim Garris sell them or who sells it? Or is it I'm burger? sure I, th- I think one of those two sell them.
0: <laughs> okay, so there's people that sell them. Here's here's kind of the issue I have with that is the same grazing stick that works for me needs to have different information on it for you, mm-hmm. needs to have different information on it for Gulf Coast of Texas or for Fescue Country 100 miles east of me. It needs it it it's a kind of a geographically ecologically regional thing, right? So we know from past measurement, how many pounds of grass per acre per inch that we measure. So I'll go through with that grazing stick and just, I'll walk. And I'll just look at it. I'll be like, okay, that's, you know, big blue at 10, big blue at 10, big blue at 10, you know, grandma grass at six, you know, little blue at six. And you know, I'll be keeping all, I'll just kind of be keeping all these measurements kind of averaging them out as I go in my head and being like, okay, so I've got something like seven inches of forage on average here. Okay. What's seven inches of forage worth? Well, I'm between 120 and 150 pounds of forage per inch per acre. Okay. Okay. So seven times 150 mm-hmm. gives me, I don't know, whatever whatever the calculator will say it is. <laughs> but you get the point.
1: Yep. Yeah, for sure. I, I have a, a similar method. I've never clipped and weighed but I have put up a lot of hay in my time. And so I kind of look at a pasture and think, well, how much, if I cut this for hay, how many pounds or how many bales or tonnage could I get off of it? And uh, kind of calculate my grazing that way. When I first started this year, I thought that we'd get 800 pounds of for harvestable forage per acre. And that kind of went off. I thought like we would grow probably a thousand pounds, you know, an acre if I cut and bailed it, you know, uh, but, and then with a 20%, 20% waste. So that's how I came up with that 800 number, but I, I think we're growing a lot more forage than that this year. So, uh, and I, even with that, I, I gave myself a little bit of wiggle room, um, took on 310, uh, yearlings and 200 cow-calf pairs. And, uh, I left myself a little bit of wiggle room. I think I could I can Take on more if I want, but after the last couple of years with drought, not leaving as much behind as I wanted to, I think I might just keep it where I'm at right now and just stockpile a whole bunch of grass this year.
0: That's a good plan because you'll you'll get your turn at this drought. It'll oh, come. Yeah. It'll it'll get yeah. there someday.
1: Yeah, it'll come back around. It might be next year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, two terrible winters, terrible drought. Please just give me. I, I don't even need a great year next year. I just need a slightly below average year next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, we can get into one of my questions. Yeah, I was going to ask you about drought. I know you guys were dry the last time I talked, and you guys have been dry most of the winter. I think you guys got a little shot of moisture in, what, May or April?
0: We got a little in April. We got – April was really dry. May has been dry. June has been super dry. yeah.
1: Um, so, like, what it, what's your measurable rainfall here, uh, like, in the last couple months?
0: I think since November fifteenth, I'm um, just about seven inches since November fifteenth, and oh,
1: since November fifteenth, well, wow.
0: yeah, so yeah, that's November fifteenth. That's not January first. That's November fifteenth.
1: Yeah,
0: crazy. Uh, yeah, about about seven inches. Um, so that's very close to, you know, very close to the red line. A, another drought trigger, so i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to destock i I'm, I'm destocking even destocking to the next level even though i really don't have to
1: what uh what what's going to be your measurement for destocking or or uh yeah how are you gonna make those decisions
0: well um what <laughs> I'm going to have a bunch for sale. Hopefully, they've sold by the time y'all hear this, um, and hopefully, they've gone to whoever gave me a lot more than I thought they were worth. If not, um, basically, I, I, I'm down to what I'm down to. Basically, trying to figure out what I want to feed this winter. Like, I'm planning out my feed this winter, and either, you know, it. I'm kind of the point where I'm either buying, I can either get by on one load of pellets, one load of cake, one load of cubes. If I destock by about half, or I got to buy two loads and have some left over, and I'm just looking at the feed cost and thinking, you know, I've got some of these that that I like. They're really good cows. They just aren't quite hacking it on this program. They need maybe a little bit better better place to live. Somebody's a little bit nicer to their cows than I am. <laughs> um, and I think it's a good time to sell. I think it's a good time to sell some of what I got. Like we were discussing earlier. Um, you know, the, the, the ones that are carrying those Fleck V Semital calves, um, somebody that's got a good, somebody that's trying to build a bottom up grass program. There you go right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there you go. There's your, you know, there's your cows that are carrying your, what, what's going to be your herd matriarch and your herd patriarch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like when I sold my cows, it was before it started, started raining. Um, so I probably could have got a little bit more if I would have waited a little bit. But I, I still got everything I wanted out of them, and uh, the person who bought them was actually my cousin. Uh, and I'm still grazing those cows. It was kind of part of the the deal. Um, I figured they'd sell better if they came with, you know, pasture that they could run on. Right. And so uh, we made a deal that I'd run them for at least three 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 growing seasons. Um, but like we were talking, I th- I think it was a good deal for both of us. I I wanted or we wanted to exit. And that with the nation's cow herd declining, I mean, they're butchering a lot of cows and they have been for a couple of years. And um, with you guys, drought down South. And um, I think Western or North Central Montana is still really dry and, and there's still some dry areas. I think the whole Southwest, um, they're, they're gonna butcher a bunch more cows. So I don't know whether it's this fall or net next year, there's gonna be a big jump in cow prices. I think it's gonna, we're gonna see like, 2014, 15 cow prices again.
0: I hope you're right. And you know, that's what Corbett's been saying. That's what that's what Steve Stratford has said. I can't tell you how many other people I've talked to that have said very similar things like the cow cycle, the cow cycle, the cow cycle. And all the indications are there, right? They're all there. But there's a big part of me that says it won't happen this time. There will be, there, there's, there's some other, there's some force that's going to that's gonna keep us from seeing those peaks like we did in 14. I don't, it'll go up. It has to go up from where it is. Like the cycle demands it. I just don't think it's going to get near as high as everybody think it will thinks it will. Yeah, and- uh, I hope I'm wrong because yeah. I'd love to sell, I'd love to sell some two and $3,000 cows. No, and
1: I I kind of share you know I, I say that and I, that's what I think is going to happen. But um, I had a couple buddies that ran share cows with me, and I sold their cows too. And that's that was their question: They're like, well, aren't we selling at the bottom right now? Aren't isn't everything just due to skyrocket? And I was like, well, it might, but you know, it I don't want to. I, I don't want to hang on for for two, three more years, and and, and hemorrhage money and, and have to pay all these high inputs and feed costs and. Who knows if it's going to rain? I mean, I think those prices hopefully should be coming someday, but who knows how far away they are.
0: But you, well, like, you know, to back up just a little bit by saying, well, you know, you could have held on to your cows, you sold them at the bottom, but that's, that's not the point. I mean, you made a business decision to exit based on current conditions. It hadn't rained. You didn't have grass you need to have less cows simple as that we you have we have no way of knowing what the market is going to do tomorrow i mean we could wake up tomorrow and fat cattle could be 250 <laughs> the tooth fairy could come leave me 100 million dollars under my pillow too i don't think either one of them is going to happen right yeah But what i'm getting at is you know i i think that you know with, with the factors that are going on right now rising input prices consumer shifting lack of capacity in the beef packing system i'm not entirely sure that, that those forces aren't going to prevent the market from working the way that we all think it should
1: yeah i can see that too unfortunately but
0: the market'll go up i don't think it'll be there you know i i'd like to think that the market'll be stronger for the low input low input efficient types low input grass efficient types and less strong for the really, really high efficient, high high input type cattle. You know, I'd, I would hope that we'd see some kind of invert, some kind of correction in that where the low input efficient cattle are actually starting to be, you know, priced a little bit more appropriately for their value to the rancher than, you know, than what their perceived value to the packer is.
1: Yeah, I agree that. You, you would hope that correction comes someday too, but I, don't, I, think, I think us low-input guys are still such a small percentage of, uh, of ranchers that, yeah, it's tough. Well,
0: I think it's a matter of, you know, trying to find the niche to be in and expand and own that niche and grow it. And the only way to win at the commodity game with the Packers at the feedlot is to not play. Because it's totally rigged. Like there was a. Uh Did you see that thing that Shaylee Stewart put out? Oh, a while ago, probably a month ago, what time? Everybody hears this. That was about uh, about how the market. (sighs) Shit, I've started down this road twice already today about what (laughs) said, and I keep I keep forgetting. Um.
1: Anyway, move on. What.
0: you Um, have another question lined
1: up? Yeah, I do. So off, you know, what you said you're going to destock. I know you're trying to develop maybe a future bull enterprise. um, And so those bulls, I I believe there would be this calf crop coming that that you might want to start keeping some of those bulls. How are those those bull calves looking?
0: Three of them looking really, really good. Macaulay Kincaid, if you're out there, I have your next herd bull on the ground. (laughs) Yes, sir. We just need to discuss that before we work calves again in this fall and uh i decide whether or not he gets to keep his uh testicles <laughs> yeah we've there's some really good looking bulls um some really good looking bull calves um strangely enough so we bred everything black angus last year everything like this this calf crop that's on the ground is the first ranch bred 100 ranch raised calf crop everything else is like you well know, the two-year-olds were all bought in bred. Uh, a lot of the one-year-olds, one-year-old calves, a lot of them were bought in, you know, as as bred cows. So they were already carrying. So they're more epigenetically adapted than the two-year-olds. But the one-year-olds are, you know, they've been here since they're floating around and they've been here, like they were made here. And those are the ones I think are really going to be worthwhile. Those are the ones that are worth having. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, how
1: many how many are well i guess you know you gotta you gotta see them develop but ideally how many are you gonna keep for your own and uh you said you're gonna sell one to macaulay how many more are you planning you want to sell well see
0: that's the thing i'm not we need to we need to build partnerships with other like-minded producers and other like-minded folks so you know There'll be some trading around with some other guys that we know. I don't want to throw out, you know, names right now because I don't want it to come uh-huh. back and bite me in the butt. But, you know, I, I do already have some agreements to start, you know, trading around some males and, you know, hey, you know, you've got this. Grow me a bull. I don't <laughs> care. You know, I don't uh-huh. care you're two years out. I want him in two years. Like, yeah. you know, um, I actually was talking to a gentleman today that's crossing Akashi bulls onto Corriente cows. And I said, that sounds awesome. Breed me a bull. I'll need him in two years. You know, yeah, That that could be a very, very interesting, you know, back cross in two years after I get, you know, after I get a little, you know, after I get a little bit of framing, we will throw something else in there that's added, that's got Corriente in it to kind of stabilize the things we like in the Corriente. And maybe in two years, I decide that that's not a bull that I need. Well, mm-hmm. you know, he will have one for somebody. Somebody will want it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh-huh. Off that, so if if you're not, okay, so you're keeping a few of your own bulls, but you're going to bring in some some else. Tim asks, how much are you willing to spend on a bull?
0: The farther away he is, the less I want to spend. <laughs> so if he's next door and he looks badass and he was born on that ranch, he's probably worth quite a bit, especially if I know the kind of program that he's that he's on. So, you know, I, I've talked. Frequent listeners will know, like, I don't care about EPDs. Like, I think the best rating system going is is how they do it in the Kit Fagro catalog, on on stars, and that's not a sales pitch for Kit Fagro because he doesn't need me to be a salesman for him at all. Uh, he doesn't. <laughs> he's got, but he does have some good bulls. But I like how they, I like how they rank him, and it's not some weird ass number between zero and point nine that lower is better or or is higher better i'm not ever sure zero to five stars that's simple enough for my idiot brain to (laughs) comprehend right you know i can understand zero to five stars i can i can understand that you know i can understand things like hair coat i can understand things like you know fly resistance fleshing and marbling i can understand that the abbreviations mm-hmm. and little numbers on those EPD charts—they don't mean anything to me.
1: No, I I agree. So, do you have a number? A, a number? Uh, your next door neighbor has a badass bull. You want what? What? Uh, what would you pay for him?
0: As little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Um, I I think five thousand dollars is a ridiculous amount of money for a pasture bull. I really do. You don't it gets down to the ranching for profit concept would be (laughs) service cost per animal. Okay. What blows my mind and I see guys do this all the time, they'll buy these awesome $5,000 bulls or, you know, 5,000 or 7,000 or $10,000 bulls. And they'll put them out with cows at one bull to 20 cows. Like, okay, Uh a $10,000 bull that's going to be in your herd for three years you're going to put him at one to 20 and in three years you're going to get hamburger price for that bull. So what's your service cost? I mean, I, I have a pad of paper right here. I could do the math, but it's a lot. It's high. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm more in favor of, you know, a $5,000 bull that can breed 50 cows, a $5,000 bull better be able to breed 50 cows.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, but I, I don't think I'll, I don't think a lot of well, if you're buying the right bull, and you know what bull you're buying, they should be able to do that. But I don't think a lot of the $5,000 bulls that are sold can can
0: cover 50 cows. I would, I would agree with that. I would agree that there's very few bulls that I've seen that could cover that many cows. I mean, so I've heard a rule of thumb of uh, 10 cows per month, or one cow per month of age. So you know, you could expect a two year old bull to be able to cover 25 cows, right? You should be able to expect a four-year-old bull to cover almost 50 cows, right? But that doesn't seem to be the case. Like, nobody does that. Like, it it, it seems like as the years that I've been around in this industry, it's, you know, it's gone from 1 to 40 to 1 to 35 to 1 to 30 to now 1 to 25. And there's guys putting out 1 to 20. And I'm kind of, ah, my, uh, one of my customers actually hauled in bulls just a few days ago and he, he was getting kind of, I didn't even think anything of it because he started calving about when I did and, you know, I wasn't even paying attention to him bringing bulls or not just wasn't on my radar. Cause I'm worried about my stuff. Well, he, he texted me the other day. He's like, uh, Hey, I'm coming up going to be bringing bulls. I'm like, Oh, cool. I guess I'll, I'll come down to meet you. So he brought up five for 150 cows, It's a lot more reasonable. Yeah. And we go out today, and one of them is literally, and okay, they're in a 110-acre paddock. I've got 150 pair in 110 acres, all right? It's not like they're standing on top of each other. They got some room. They, there's actually trees. I put them in there because there's actually trees in there, and it's been so friggin' hot. I kind of felt bad for them and wanted to let them have some trees. And There's a few trees in the next paddock and a few trees in the next paddock, but after that, they're not going to see a tree for like six months, <laughs> anyway um so one of the bulls this morning all morning far corner of the pasture not even working the other four i mean they were on the job they were they were on the job and they were working and it looked like they'd been working hard all night too uh-huh. and that being said uh, so he, w- he was kind of concerned like he was like turning out bulls way late i'm like don't sweat it Tim don't sweat it Tim. Yeah. I'm turning out mine on Saturday and he's like well, you haven't <laughs> turned out yet I'm like no I'm turning out on Saturday so
1: so like uh I guess we go a couple different. like you guys have been in drought and you guys have had a lot of heat lately um have you had any problems with uh with 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 the heat exhaustion or have you had any cattle tip over because of the heat
0: I haven't had any of mine tip over from the heat um and they don't seem to be bothered by the heat. I mean, the Corriente is a more is a heat adapted. They're heat adapted. I mean, they're like. I guess I'll say it again. I've said it probably like eighteen times on here, but you know, there's only fifteen people that actually listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> The, the Corriente cattle are descended from the Creole cattle that the Spanish brought over in, in the 1500s. I mean, somebody will probably argue, so, oh, they were here in 1498. Whatever, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's been long enough. They've got 400 plus years of natural selection and adaptation in a hot, shitty environment with poor grass. That's the point of the breed. And they stay out and work. I mean, I could go out in the heat of the day, you know, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, heat of the day. Um, yeah, they might be out. They might be loafing. They might be out just you know laying around, ruminating, chewing cud, whatever. but they're not camped out under the shade trees and they're not camped out in the creek and they're not camped out in the pond. Now I also have to say this. We're commingled with some black cattle. there's some there's some red Angus and some herfords in there. The red Angus or the herfords stay out almost as long as the corientes, but they go shade up. The red Angus stay out a lot longer than the black Angus. And they go shade up a little bit before the herfers, the black Angus, uh, nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, they're standing under the trees. Like they're done, but they probably get up early and work or maybe they work all night. I don't know, but they don't, they don't seem hungry when they're standing under the trees.
1: But yeah, that, that's interesting. Last year was definitely the hottest year, uh, and driest year since I've been ranching and early in the year. And we first started, we were starting to get 90, hundred degree temps in late May, early June last year. And I think this year we've only hit 90 one time. Uh, but anyway, early in the summer, and this kind of goes back to what happened in Kansas with those, those cattle dying. Early in the summer, when it first started getting hot, those cattle were under the tree, swimming in the ponds. Just, they looked miserable. But as the summer went on, they got more and more used to it. And they, you know, they'd stay out later in the day and, and graze. And, and later in the year, you know, they kind of get adapted to it just, just even in the year. And I think that was a big part of what happened in those feedlots is perfect storm of cattle in lots, uh, early in the year, no wind, high humidity. What are your yeah. thoughts on it?
0: Oh, gosh. You know, so I had a, I had a ton of people right after what we're talking about is there is, uh, it was kind of back toward the middle of June that there was about there's a, a a heat event a heat burst an overnight heat burst they said killed and like 10,000 head of cattle in western kansas feedlots right without going off on on a huge rant that's probably going to make you know half the people that listen turn it off immediately <laughs> um, i've heard that there were some that there were some problems like there might have been a water issue like they might have had a water pump go down for just a couple of hours Oh but yeah. Just a couple hours is enough. That'll do it. Is is enough in in conditions like that to make animals that are already, let's just say, unhealthy in an extremely stressful environment that's very physically demanding. Lack of water can put them over the edge. You know?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Overnight temps where it stays over a hundred degrees till midnight, then they can't cool down at night. Maybe they did have water. Maybe they had a water problem. I can still see, you know, those, those overweight cattle that, you know, may or may not have some metabolic issues going on, border, what we'd call diabetic. That anyway, you know, what happens to an obese person that wears a black fur coat that goes out and stands in the midday sun for two hours? On black dirt. On black dirt, right? Yeah. You know, go, yeah. Put on a put on a black fur coat and go stand in a parking lot for two hours yeah. in the blazing sun in the middle of June. Right. It's fucking hot.
1: <laughs> I did that without the fur coat when I was uh, doing farmer's markets. It's not fun. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, the thing is what happened, what happened in all those animals dying? Is it horrible? Yes. Would it suck if it happened to me? 100%. Is it a, would it have, was it preventable? I'm going to say 100% preventable.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to say you.
0: that I'm going to say that. And I know I'm going to catch hell from somebody who says, well, you've never been in a feed lot. You've never run one. How can you know that? Cause I know how to take care of cows. And I know that if you didn't have them in the feed lot in an unhealthy condition or was hot, they'd probably be okay. I mean, all mine in the pasture were fine. All my clients in the pasture were fine. I mean, it was the same temperature. It's been the same temperature day here as it's been out there within a couple degrees.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm not going to say that we got the same night heat burst, but I remember waking up that morning and I'm going, man, it's hot. Like (laughs) 10 minutes after the sun come up going like, fuck, it's hot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, A bunch of, Kind of the perfect storm, but also would have been preventable in a different diff- different environment.
0: Um, indefensible, though. That's the thing. It's complete. It's it's totally indefensible. You know, the economies of scale that we've gotten to with the centralization and monopolization uh, of a concentration of both the packers and the feeders. OK, I mean, feed yards figured out, build a bigger feed yard, be more efficient. We can buy more stuff, get a better price get better deal on shipping. I mean, it's the same as any business. But what they failed to consider in the name of efficiency and profit is the environment that the animals are in and their welfare. Like, it, it, To me, what happened is indefensible just because it's an animal welfare issue. Guys, it's 100% an animal welfare issue. If we can't have cows that can't stand outside and not die from heat stroke, what are we doing? Are we doing the right things there? Do we have the right animals there? As they would say in that, uh, that place, <laughs> does your enterprise fit your environment? Which is a question that, that, you know, I got a lot of crap for asking on TikTok. And it was specifically uh-huh. about people complaining in Wyoming. They're feeding hay for 210 plus days a year. Does uh-huh. your enterprise fit your environment? If you have to feed that much, simple as that. If you have animals that die in the damn heat, does your enterprise fit your environment? Yeah, probably not.
1: I got a, I got another question question off that. Okay. Uh, this is this is from our Fred R- Richard Coomer.
0: Uh, so I didn't know so, that guy.
1: So, so the TikTok drama that you and I like to to stir up, where we uh, kind of question some of the conventional. Conventional stuff, and and obviously we're we're both kind of trying to promote the message of regenerative ag. Um, Is our approach on social media the best way, or is there a better way to meet conventional guys at the gate, or will just not matter whatever we do until there's enough failure and enough land degradation that people are forced to change?
0: Okay, well that's a little bit to unpack. So I'll start (laughs) off by saying. I'm not going to worry about trying to wake up more sheep. I'm trying to gather my lions. And it takes, it's going to take all kinds of communicators and different communication styles from different angles to reach all the folks that need that, that not need to hear it, that should hear it. Right. Not one there. If there was one message that would get through to everybody, I would hope that we would have found it by now. But everybody, like like there's a lot of people that come to Soil Health and get passionate about soil health. And they're very great advocates for soil health. But then you hear their story, and that's not where they were 10 years ago. 10 years ago, they were doing everything wrong the way that you know, land-grant colleges told them to do it. And they were in debt and they were sick and going broke and they had to make a change and the change was they couldn't afford anything and they had to figure out how to way to do it and then through the magic of failing upwards when you don't actively try to screw up nature (laughs) they succeeded when they thought that they were sure to fail because they didn't put any you know they didn't have any inputs or they didn't have any money to do this and they i see a lot of people come into it that way i see guys come into it you know, because they look at their kids and they think, what am I doing? They look at their kids and then they look at that jug of pesticide. They're getting ready to go dump in the sprayer, go spray on the farm field. That's literally next door to their house. And they think, wait a minute, should I be doing this? You know, there's guys like that. There's guys that. Although there's somebody else on uh, on social media, the gentleman in Nebraska that's fond of glasses.
1: Old <laughs> Old Chester.
0: I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to name sorry. sorry. but I won't, I'll say I'll edit that out, but I won't. Um, Yeah. Chester. And that, you know, last year, you know, you, me, him, Hobbs, Earl kind of, you'll sniping back and forth. And that one he put out a few months ago about, Oh, maybe this great. Maybe this Grayson stuff does work. Maybe you guys are onto something. That's kind of like, glad to see you're on board, Chester. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah. Or just even like, he, he's put out a couple questions that he's just entertaining the ideas or or he's you know thinking about it or thinking about what we're doing and uh you know sometimes it is fun to piss people off but when people get angry a lot of times they start thinking or like yeah. what the hell are these guys talking about or why am i angry like why am i getting so
0: angry about this like so i think it gets people thinking so let i want to i i don't want to try to tell people how to think or what to think, okay? I try to encourage people to ask the questions and keep asking questions until you get satisfied. And maybe some people need a little bit of an adjustment on what it is to get their, you know, on when, they're, on when their questions ought to be satisfied. But, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions and challenge things. Don't be afraid to sound like an idiot. I mean, I'm not afraid to call up Corbett Wall and say, Corbett, I'm a moron. Explain this marketing crap to me, Okay don't be afraid to tell somebody how little, you know, and give them an opportunity to, to educate you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess we can go into a different question off that. So, uh, we can, I, can I beat
0: that one up if you want to, I don't care. <laughs>
1: oh no. Well, we could, we could, we could circle back if we need to, but uh, off, off what you said about Corbett, like I think you've been knocking it out of the park lately with your episodes and your guests. Um, you Had Don Schiff, Schiffle being uh Brett Kenzie or Don Schiffle being the new NCBA uh president, right?
0: Yeah, yeah uh, president.
1: Uh, Brett Kenzie, president of RCAF, and then you had Corbett Corbett Wall, who's not on the board for USCA, but uh, he may as well be. Um, I guess starting with Don, what what was your favorite thing that he said? Um, I guess uh, I'd give you a se- second to think. So, I'm not an NCBA member, I was at one point but I obviously don't like what they're doing. But I thought he made a good point in saying, all you guys that don't want to join because you're not happy with us, the the more, the more less of you guys that are members, the more shit that's going to get passed that you guys don't like because we need more of you as members. And so I thought that was something to ponder. I still haven't sent in an, an NCBA membership, but I thought that was a, a good point he made.
0: It is. And it's, it's, it's a great point. And you're not the first person that's pointed that out to me about that episode. And I'm, I'm not convinced. Okay. I'm not convinced because NCBA says they have around 25,000 members. RCAF says they have about 5,000. Okay. So they have five times the member RCAF does. Here's the thing, though. Like there's a lot of guys that are NCBA members that don't know how they got there. And I'll tell you why. Because if you go feed cattle, if you own cattle, you send to an NCBA, like certain yards that are NCBA affiliated, they'll just sign you up for a membership and put your name on it and then just send you a membership card. That's happened to three people that I know of in the last 12 months. That, and they've all told me that since that episode came out and they're like, I didn't even, yeah, I'm an NCBA member. I didn't even know. I didn't even intentionally become a member and sign up for it. So there's that, you know, that's going on. And I want to make the point about RCAF. Every single member of RCAF is a willing member of RCAF. like they have specifically sought that organization out for their values, what they believe in, what they stand in, and willingly sent in their dues. I think there's a lot of people that that are NCBA members and have never heard of RCAF, and they're only NCBA members because they got signed up through a feeding program, or you know, they got signed up for a program that they really didn't under they didn't know that it was going to happen. Um, but my favorite thing that Don said. Um, he does make a great defense for private land ownership. Like that, that's probably one of the strongest defenses of private land ownership um, that I've heard in a long time. Yeah. You no, know, I, I really enjoyed talking to Don. That was, that was, that was a, I can't say it was fun. It was a very, it was a very enjoyable it was a very, very enjoyable conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't stressful at all. Um, you know, because I, I, I didn't try to. I wasn't trying to corner him or anything on anything mm-hmm. at all. I just wanted to talk to the man and see where he was at, give him a chance to give him a chance on a platform to tell us what he's all about, and what he's going to do within CBA and your organization, and why and why you wanted to join it. No, and I, I thought, wanted to get thought... Brett the same. Ch- Brett the same chance too from our cap.
1: Yep. No, I thought I thought you did a great job. Uh and i i thought he did a good job too you both have contrasting views but i thought you both did a good job of you know hearing the other person out and you know well i may not agree with that but i i see where you're coming from type type of deal and yeah i thought it was i thought it was really good conversation
0: and we got to meet people where they're at you know back to your previous comment you know we could do a better job of meeting people where they're at and you know like like don said you know the membership tells us what to do. And if you're not a member, well, you need to step up and be a member and tell us what you want. I sometimes I have a hard time believing that because I just I just feel like NCBA is just run by the Packers for the benefit of the Packers, by the feeders. And they don't have the cow calf producer. Like they don't have they don't have the rancher, they don't have the cow calf producers. Best interest at heart, yours and mine, or the custom grazer. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, go be a custom grazer on leased land. Go find somebody that'll support you. Go find somebody that will fight for your rights as a custom grazer on leased land. There's nobody, yeah. buddy. <laughs> I hate yeah. to tell you, I've been down that road. I know what it's like. You know, and I don't want to. I don't want that to like you know discourage anybody from going down that route because. Custom grazing on leased land with somebody else's cattle on with leased machinery is an excellent way to make a balance sheet look real pretty. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I need to, the next uh, executive link meeting done. I, I need to I need to talk to to Sage asking more about about his enterprises and how he's scaling that and and because uh, yeah he's doing some he's doing some special stuff as far as as far as doing what you're saying is uh, running custom cattle on other people's on leased land.
0: So you're Colorado. Are on. you in Colorado chapter El? Yep. Yep. That's my old chapter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we're actually have our executive link meeting out here tomorrow. Um, you're on the our, ranch? Yep. On, on our place. And we you're were hosting? On, yeah.
0: Oh, that's yeah, awesome.
1: We, we were put onto a brand new board uh, and everyone else on the board is kind of in major transitions, even more than us who just sold a cow herd, but like transitions like moving or it's pretty unstab- typical on <laughs> Un- stability in the operation. So we kind of were it by default and we're like, well, I- oh, like yes, we can do it. <laughs> so, yeah, we're having everybody out here. tomorrow. You will have so much
0: fun. I'm, I'm happy for you. And I hope you'll call me in a couple of days and tell me how it went. Cause
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Our first year in EL, we did summer meeting here. Uh, that was two years <laughs> ago. And I'm so glad we did. Yeah. I'm, I'm what so glad we did.
1: What did you find the most valuable about it?
0: Social. Yeah. Everybody Jeff. comes together. I mean, you still have you'll still have a great meeting. You'll still get all the business done. But like the hanging out, the social part of it, don't skimp on that. Okay. Like I don't know what your uh what kind of arrangements you're doing. Let's well let's let's talk about how we did mine and maybe give some people some yeah suggestions for networking. So We don't have enough space here at our house for everybody. Town's 20 miles away. But a mile down the road in the community of 50 people that's called Sun City, there's a gentleman that has a hunting lodge. And July is not really a big time for deer hunting. So we (laughs) went to him and we're like, hey, let's talk about this deer lodge. You know, we got meetings coming up. You know, we got people coming in. We need a meeting space. We need a space to eat. They need space to sleep. And as it turned out, there's Almost a ready made perfect space a mile away. There's two buildings one that we could go over and have, we had all our meetings in one building. And then the other building had uh, seven bedrooms, <laughs> two <laughs> bathrooms, a huge catering kitchen, and a big hangout social area and a pool table. And that's where we did everything else.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, ranch tour be flexible on the ranch tour um if, and if you probably already have it planned out but show them something that you're absolutely not proud of like swallow okay. your own pride and go show them something that sucks that's not working okay and then go show them something that's awesome
1: that's actually gonna be my first stop at my uh cover crop fields is something that i just haven't had any luck between drought and uh now this year with plenty of rain i i sprayed them uh And then we couldn't get in the field for three weeks. So now we're coming up with all the weeds. and So yeah, that's actually the first place we're going to stop is like, this is, I need to just plant everything to grass. I'm bad. I'm a bad farmer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're probably a better farmer than I am. So to to kind of continue on with that. So we had that building and, you know, we're a mile away. So, you know, we can kind of come and go whatever, but we hired somebody to cater it. So we didn't have to worry about food. That was probably the that was probably the best thing that we did was was just just make it to where we didn't have to worry about any of the food at all. That everything was catered. We knew we had a menu, and all we had to do was tell the lady that was doing our catering when we were going to be there, and she had uh-huh. everything ready. And man, like she was on point. She was there before everybody got up. Brought breakfast with her. Made coffee. Broke that down. Went back. Then then got lunch out and had lunch sitting there ready for us when we came back for lunch, she'd go back to town and re reset and come back out with dinner. That's awesome. And do dinner. Uh, one night we had, uh, we had our friend Jonathan come down and cook steaks. Now Jonathan is, uh, he goes and does the, the, the steak, steak grilling competition, steak cooking competition, whatever it's called. Yeah. So we figured, Hey, we'll get some good meat. We'll get a guy that knows how to really cook good meat. We'll put the two together and have a good meal. So that's that's kind of what we did for El. And uh, I, think it was a pretty, I think it was a great experience. And I hope you, uh, I hope you guys have good meetings.
1: Yeah, I think we will. The only thing we're doing, we're doing the pasture tour out here, and then we're doing our meetings tomorrow out here. Uh, but then everything else we're going to do at a meeting room in Dickinson, which is fifty miles away. But that's where everyone's staying. That's like the closest closest place is fifty miles away.
0: Hey, so, I get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we're getting, we're getting, we're getting catering uh, for, for lunch every day and breakfast and lunch tomorrow. So yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. And then we're actually just going to stay in town too. So we'll all be staying at the same hotel. And
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it too. I really like, I really like our, our board. Um, yeah, I really like, I really like our board. It, You'll have to tell me
0: who's on your board when we're not recording. Cause I, I want to yep. know.
1: Yeah, I don't, yeah, I will. I, uh, I'm not sure if you know any of them, but, uh, uh, actually you might know one of them. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll have to tell you that later, <laughs> but no, it, sh- it should be a good time. But, uh, guess we can get into another question here. Let's go uh, for it. Let's so cattle performance this year on during the drought, like how are your cows performing? What's their body condition like?
0: Um, huh good question. so you know Corentes are gonna carry like they're gonna look like they're about a full body condition less than a continental so kind of keep that in mind and I'm so so I guess in a coriente, a five is like an would be the same as an Angus at a six because they just carry a little bit less fat so that being said i I had some twos and threes over the winter uh but now everything is everything is five either a low five or a high five and rising everything is definitely on a rising plane of nutrition and gain right now um manure supports that (laughs) yeah um so so we can talk about the grass a little bit yeah it's hot it's dry that means there's not much grass but what grass there is, the minerals are more concentrated, the nutrients are more concentrated, because you have the same root mass, it's just growing half to two thirds of the leaf that it did last year. So it's trying to pack as much stuff into that leaf to do as much photosynthesis as possible, right, because it's only got a, it's it's on a limited energy budget. So the grass is really good, you know. The old timers would call it strong or hard, Yeah, you know, versus a year like we had uh, two years ago when was strip grazing cattle and it was just wet, 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 wet. We didn't have any sun. And that was that was a sun drought. You know, we're in a rain drought this year and our grass is great. There's just not much of it. But then we get in a sun drought and you have plenty of grass. It's just not worth the crap and it goes right through the cows and they don't gain very well. You know, it, you take what you can get, I suppose. Um So the grass is is really good and nutritious. The trick is just finding and, you know, getting enough to get stuffed into the cows. My coriander cows look great. They look as good as they've ever looked. Um, You know, uh, the picture that's my background was six days old. I mean, they're looking great. This thing over my other Mm -hmm. shoulder here, that's a customer cow. (laughs) That's a customer cow. All the ones that are shiny over here, those are all my... um, (laughs) I'd say... I'd say probably all all of mine slicked off and have been shiny for weeks. And I'm still waiting on a lot of the customer blacks uh, to get rid of their winter coat, to get rid of their winter coat and, um, and, and start getting shiny. Um, Steve Campbell would say hormonal balance, glandular function. No, I get that. I totally get that. And I see it in the cows.
1: So off of, off of Steve Campbell there, um, have you had any pink eye or foot rot issues, uh, this year? Zero. Zero. Have you just I mean, we're, been we're doing third, a,
0: Okay. At recording time, we're literally recording this first day of summer, wood. June, <laughs> June 21st. Knock on wood. I've had zero pink eyes, zero foot rods, no health issues. <laughs> I don't even have flies. Okay. There's <laughs> flies. There's my cows have some. But very few of them are actually bothered by flies. A few of the customer cows have enough flies to bother them, but in general, the customer cows have a heavier, have a greater fly load than my cows. The black cows, blacks and black baldies, most of all, um, than the Herefords and the Reds have the least.
1: Interesting. Have you been doing just free choice sea salt, or have you been doing a, a, a tank brine at all, or how have you been feeding that?
0: We are just on, currently we're on, um, we're just on Kansas independent sea fine, and consumption is way down. I'm starting to see some signs of copper deficiency, and, and in a few cattle, I'm starting to see some cadmium. So since I've got three herds on the ranch and they we're all on like subtly different programs, I've got mine and then Tim's cow is down on the south end and we're all on, we're all on uh, independent salt. The cows over on the west side, they're on he supplies his own mineral. <coughs> Excuse me, probably forget to edit that one out too. Um, but yeah, so far I'm just, I'm just feeding the straight up Kansas independent in tubs. Um, but based on what I'm seeing with the copper, um, this afternoon, I've been I've been shopping for the recommended product that Steve Campbell told me to do. I'm trying to get a price on that, see how far away it is. If it's more than a week or two out, I'm going to deploy mineral water within the next seven days um, and see if that works to clear up some of what I'm seeing. And if that does, I'll just go ahead and deploy that on the other three herds and just keep rotating the mineral water around.
1: And, and what did he recommend, like the Redmond
0: conditioner or uh to fix the copper to to fix the copper bumps that we're starting to see on literally everything like almost everything on the ranch we're starting to see these copper bumps and what what we're talking about when we talk about a copper bump because i see the confusion on your face okay yeah so um steve talks a lot about hooks and pins Mm -hmm. okay and the hook bones are basically the hip bones the protruding hip bones right the pin bones are you know back down below behind the tail head a little bit so what you're looking for when you're looking for that copper bump is you're looking for a bump in in between the tail head and where the hook bones are okay you want you want that area to be flat and if you start to see a little rise there you see a bump there that's your copper problem and then if in front of the hook bones the back comes up in ridges then mm-hmm. you're also looking at cadmium like he was talking about in, I think, Working Cows 196. Not that Clay Connery needs another shout out. Um, <laughs> so I've got, I've, I've, I'm either imagining that that's a copper bump. I sent a picture to Steve and he said, that looks like a copper bump. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go that way. Mineral water is low cost. It's it's going to be an easy treatment. I mean, so we're, that's that's the route we're going to go down. Now, the the cadmium thing you know i'm not seeing that in my cows i'm not seeing that in my commingled cows i'm not seeing that down south i'm only seeing well i am starting to see that on on a small percentage of tims cows down south um and i actually talked to him about it the other day we made a plan um but the cows that are over on the west are the worst with the cadmium and they're on they're on customer supplied mineral so there's there's something there yeah for there's sure there's something there and if I can get if I can get my cows and Tibbs cows cleaned up with mineral water, we're going to go ahead and deploy mineral water over there on the west side and and see if we can't get them cleaned up too for that client because it's not going to cost me anything. Yeah,
1: um, on our on our last episode, you said that uh, last year you still ended up pouring. Uh, you just said that uh, you're not having as as many fly problems this year. Are you still planning on pouring it all this year?
0: I don't have any flies. There are any ticks on okay. my cows. Why would I? <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> you know, it's that's uh, you know, Tim and I were discussing that yesterday because we made a plan to work his calves, which will already have happened by the time y'all hear this. And I said, you know, you want to do anything with your cows? You want to run your cows through the chute? I can run my chute down there, not a problem. You know, I'd be happy to do it. And he says, why? The only thing we'd do is maybe pour, put fly control on them, but I don't see any flies. There's no point. Fair enough. I had to ask though. Um, and yeah, we're not feeding garlic. So no pour on. And I'm not having fly pressure and I don't have pink eye. And well, I don't know, six months ago, if I would have said that in the room with Barbara County Cattlemen's Association, said, I'm not going to pour on my cattle, <laughs> they'd be like, You're going to have pink eye wreck. You're going to have all kinds of wrecks. Your cattle are going to be sick. They're going to be covered in flies, covered in ticks. And they're not. So, perfect
1: um okay so you you talked about your uh you you know your custom grazing and uh you have your own cattle what are your thoughts on a stocker enterprise and why do you choose a custom grazing enterprise over over running stockers with your cows
0: oh okay so what are we uh like like define what are you actually talking about when you're talking about stockers like Going and going to the barn and putting together a package of four hundred pounders, bringing them yep. out to the ranch, putting yep. Sum- them on them, reselling yep.
1: them. Yep, uh, summer grazing them and then selling them in the fall.
0: Because I don't know how to do that. Um, and th- that's a cop out answer. Okay, the real answer is: is I'm very risk and debt averse. And to me, um, you know, knowing what I've known, I'm not comfortable going to the barn. And buying, buying enough four hundred pounders or five hundred pounders, buying the weight that I need to fill me up, and then and then gambling that I'm going to have a good enough year that they're going to gain more than three quarters a pound a day. Because if they don't gain three quarters a pound a day, nobody makes money, and they don't do it every year on the grass. I mean, and that it really depends on, you know, you go buy somebody, you go buy. Fiftieth somebody's high input types that have come from the East Coast, that have come from east of the Mississippi, that have been grained for 270 days a year and hayed for 270 days a year. They don't know how to make a living on grass. They're going to go backwards and damn near starve to death. And those are the ones that are going to gain a half a pound a day. And they're the ones that are going to break your ass. I mean, if I could get good range cows that had good genetics that I knew would that would do reasonable on grass, you know, pound 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 and a quarter a day. That's all I need. If I knew I could do that with the cow. Yeah. But I'm not that guy. I can't go to the barn and pick those out. You trust an order to buyer to go pick that out. You trust an order buyer to put that, you know, to do that for you. If you do good on you, I'm glad you got a good relationship with your order buyer. You know, Ed, if you're listening to this, if you would have stayed around, maybe you and I could have done that business, but <laughs> Texas.
1: <laughs> yeah. I guess I have a similar opinion on that. Um, I'd like to learn more about the stalker enterprise, but I've never done it. And, uh, I know how to graze, graze cows and cow, calf pairs. And I know that cows can do well and I can get calves to grow. And so I guess that's why I also kind of chose a custom grazing enterprise over stalkers at this point.
0: You know, if a guy wants to get in, if a guy that's got land, and wants to do what I do or you do, and, you know, use the cattle to improve the land, high density, high frequency, high density and high frequency moves. right? Go find a backgrounder, go find somebody that will go put the cattle together, put them in his yard and straighten them out, clean them up. So they're not sending you a bunch of sick ones and straighten them up on some grass. Hey, taper down on the corn ration to get the rumens right, get the health problems right before they send them to grass. You know, that yeah. can be very, very successful. That can work. But you've got to have that relationship with somebody with the with the backgrounder that can put together those cattle. Yeah. I, no, I, 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 I used to know a guy like that. And I haven't, we, uh, we aren't, <laughs> I'm not going to say we aren't friends anymore. We just haven't spoken a very, very long time. But uh, you know, there's guys out there that are like that, that, you know, that are backgrounders that do that all the time that are just looking for for grass to put cattle on for you know 90 100 120 days mm-hmm. well they do it all the time in the flint hills yeah if you, if you don't have a contact that that will do that kind of a deal just call somebody in the flint hills and say hey <laughs> <laughs> give me some of your contacts maybe they can put some cows on my place too yeah yeah i've raised yearlings i've done yeah. yearlings before um most recently, we did it in, um, I did some in 19, in 2019, I had a herd of about 470 uh, 550 weights come in. I don't want to talk about what they weighed when they left, <laughs> but uh, um, they came in, they didn't do as good as we would have liked. Uh, grass was washy. Uh-huh. And don't we won't say anything else about that, but uh, so it would have been... I can't remember what year it was um, but my other neighbor and I that we Nate and I've been doing cattle together like since 2007 our fathers ran cattle together out here on this land together okay we've met <laughs> we work well together i mean i'm not going to say he's my best friend but we have a very very good working relationship and there is a large amount of trust um we want to do yearling's one year So he put together this package of like almost 4,000 because he has, because he has about the same acreage on each side of this blacktop road that I do. We're just separated by a fence. So he said, okay, we'll start half of them on your place on the West side. We'll start the other half of them on my place on the East side and I'll graze them around my East side. And when they're about done with that, they'll go to your place and yours they graze all around your west side, and about when they're done, they come down to my place. So, we ended up having this switch. Like, I had all of them for eight days, <laughs> it was wild, man. I, yeah, like 1800 over here, 2200 over here.
1: That's a pile that was, of cattle.
0: Oh, it was wild. Like, those eight days, I didn't sleep. It was just because uh, there was no margin for error. that project but uh yeah that was uh that was one of the really that was an interesting year but ever most years since then i've just done i've done cows or replacement heifers or dry cows or or some kind of gag on breeding stock not on not on stock that's you know headed toward the finishing pipeline
1: yeah so i'm doing a little bit of both this year uh I i took on 200 there's 240 replacement heifers I took on but then I also took on 70 spade heifers uh that are going to be headed to Greeley the packing plant in Greeley Colorado here this fall uh, and I, so far I, they look like they're gaining good those spade heifers everything looks like it's it's gaining good they didn't for the the first few weeks I had them uh, it was it was raining every other day, and it was muddy and not much sunshine. And uh, I had a little bit of issues, even with with calves being sick too. Uh, I guess we're just not used to being being so muddy. But as soon as the sun started coming out and it dried up, that that all kind of cleared up, and everything's putting on weight and slicking off now. And it seems to be working well. I guess I guess we'll see. I'm just kind of dipping my toe in it, kind of figuring out what what works best and what I want to do, or a mix of both works best or or what
0: the fun part isn't it everything's experimental to some degree yeah i think uh chris brown i don't know if you know who he is from sylvan aqua farms um anyway he he had kind of a he had a fight with joel salatin on twitter a year or two ago (laughs) anyway he, he's an interesting guy. I, I sent him an email like a year ago to get on the, get him on the podcast. I should email him again. I'll, I'll probably do that when we're done. Anyway, he, uh, he had this big thing about chicken production, about the cost of chicken production. But one of the things that he says is raising food is high stakes, multivariable calculus. And that's 100% true. And the screwed up part is, is you can fix all of your numbers, all of your input numbers, and start running that calculation. And while you're running that calculation, those variables can change. Like, they can fucking randomly change on you, and you've already set all your inputs, and, well, there goes your output result that you're hoping for. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's, that's absolutely right.
0: And I like how he put it, high stakes multivariable calculus. Yeah, it makes us it makes us sound uh,
1: really smart.
0: <laughs> yeah, I need all the help I can get most days. Yeah,
1: yeah me too. Uh-huh. Michael, uh huh. Michael from Reverent Wild Ranch asks, "How is six dollar diesel affecting your profitability?"
0: <laughs> oh, well, it's not horrible yet because um, I I. I've always been concerned about the amount of fuel that I use in the operation. I ever since I got out of the Navy and came back, I've, you know, one of the first things I looked at uh, numbers wise, when I was trying to figure out how to start my business after I got, after I went to ranching for profit for the first time in 2006 <laughs> Before I started my grazing business in 2008, you know, I'm looking at all these numbers and you know, looking at dad, all of dad's QuickBooks and seeing what his cash flows were and you know what he was spending money on. So I had an idea how I needed to budget and what I needed for cash flow. And I'm looking at line items and like the two biggest line items you got here on your overheads are vehicle rep- or pickup repair and fuel for the pickup. Why are we spending so much repairing this pickup and why are we spending so much on fuel? Well, we spent so much repairing because it's bouncing around the pasture all day and we spent so much on fuel because it's bounced around the pasture all day. Okay, well, let's fix that. So I bought a Kubota side by side and fuel usage dropped by 75%. And ever since then, we've stayed with side by sides and I've always paid attention, paid real close attention to fuel efficiency. So $6 diesel. I'm not going out screwing around cutting trees or building roads or just generally wasting time in the skid steer. Like that, that's not, that's, that's not as cheap fun as it was a couple of years ago. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. With that. Uh, yeah. Two, $2 farm diesel.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a 600 horsepower John Deere tractor, so I don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's extremely concerning and, It's not concerning because of the direct effects that $6 diesel has on my business. My direct effects are it costs me a little bit more to get back and forth to work to drive my feed truck. Winter feeding is going to cost a little bit more, but I know the miles. I know my fuel burn. It's, It's in the budget. Okay. I know how much extra it's going to cost me to run the gator around. We're just a little bit more efficient and we cut our days a little bit shorter. So we're cut fuel burn on that a little bit. Um shipping. You know, shipping things. It costs it's over five dollars a mile now to move a load of cows. And if you want to move a cow pot, it's five bucks a mile. I mean, well, well I don't have to tell you that. Shit, you're a hot or What is it a mile? What are you getting a mile?
1: Uh well, what I what I'd like to get a mile is uh about 250 if okay. i pull on a trailer. Uh and
0: what were you getting uh, two years ago?
1: Oh buck buck 60, buck seventy-five uh yeah round round trip now now i don't do anything for under two
0: okay um
1: and that's even with just a pickup no trailer like driving driving a pickup across the country
0: has to be so over you're up a minimum of 25 percent
1: yeah yep and um i want to go yeah we need to go up at least another 25 percent uh oil companies are kind of just bumping up what they're willing to pay right now because they have to rake in these profits apparently before they start paying paying their contractors <laughs> Uh. You'd think but, with all these uh, yeah. record
0: profits they're making, they might build another refinery sometime in the last 50, 60 years.
1: Oh, that's a, that's another. Yeah. So they actually did build a refinery, diesel refinery here in western North Dakota. Uh, there was one just recently built. I think it got completed in 2014 or 15. So when uh, COVID happened and the global oil market was flooded and oil was dirt cheap, they weren't making any money at the refinery anymore so they got a nice government grant to switch that over to biofuels <laughs> of course they did and oh my god that would be so helpful to that was one of the only that was so great refineries. for all the
0: corn farmers it's just such a great thing for all the corn farmers it's such a great thing for the environment ethanol is such a green fuel trevor oh, Jeez. I,
1: oh man no i yeah that that was one major mess up and then they were Going to build a second refinery out here and i think that kind of dried up too uh but yeah that uh that that's a tough deal with there there's just such a bottleneck in our refining capacity though
0: well if the government's been telling you for the last 30 years that your industry is going to go away that they're going to regulate you out of existence they're going to ban fossil fuels why in the hell would you build a refinery like, oh, you want to shut my business down? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for me to invest a couple billion dollars to build a new production facility. Oh,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I've kind of got into this on TikTok a little bit, really, really pissing people off. But uh, people want to blame Joe Biden. I am by no means a Joe Biden supporter. I, I, I think he's just a corpse in there, basically. <laughs> uh, but people want to say how great things were under Trump. Well, under Trump, oil was so cheap, which is good for the consumer. But when it's that cheap, oil companies start going out of business. They don't want to make new investments. And that's the main thing. They're not making enough profit to make new investments and drilling new wells and building refineries, building new infrastructure yeah. and the production drops. And then we end up where we're at now. And it's like, oh, shit. Well, we need to drill for more oil, oil. Well, that's not going to help. Oil,
0: it's the product. Drilling oil, it's refinery.
1: It, yeah. And it, even that oil coming on the markets a year or two away or the keystone XL being shut down um well that wasn't going to get built overnight that's that was even if it started getting built this year that was still two years away from coming online and that oil even though it's not going through that pipeline it doesn't disappear it's still going on the global market you know it's going by rail or or, warren buffett's
0: making so much money shipping it by rail that it's in his best interest to not have the keystone xl pipeline
1: yeah so there's there's it's definitely people that want to say that, that, that Trump was this savior and he, he had it all right. He is as much to blame for the, the oil crisis right now as Biden, if if not more, but it just comes down to profitability. It's just decades. like anything.
0: It's It's decades and decades of misguided energy policy. And, you know, we say food security is national security. Greg Gunthorpe and I talked about that at length. And it's becoming, I've even seen that as an as an article headline in the last couple of weeks. People are starting to wake up that we're not as secure or as powerful of a nation as we think we are, with all of our modern conveniences that are all imported from China. We're starting to see what happens when we allow mergers. And is and global corporations to take over and consolidate we moved all of our manufacturing to china if you haven't figured that out in the last two years you haven't been paying attention everything is made in fucking china and what's happening right now fuel's getting expensive which means shipping it across the ocean is going to be expensive china's been shut down for a while so there's a lot of goods that are still in stock that are going to disappear and never come back. What are some of those? I don't know. My crystal ball's not that good. But I can tell you that, you know, we're entering a very interesting period in time where the comforts that we've been used to and and the amount of energy that we are used to being able to tap into in the course of our daily life is going to change a lot.
1: I've heard, I don't know how accurate this is, but I've heard that, uh, diesel engine oil, 1545 W 40 is going to be pretty much non-existent here in the future. There's a major shortage of that coming and also diesel exhaust fluid. And so I guess to prepare for that, I ordered two fifty-five 55 drums of, of, uh, five W 40 and, uh, I'm getting two pickups deleted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, uh, now I I feel a lot smarter buying an old 2006 5.9 Cummins and putting a new and pretty much having to rebuild everything from the frame rails up. But I have a truck that uh, that should be really reliable now and will never require def. Never. And you, know, you, you talk about death and Man, I've been, I've been kind of paying attention to that for months, like literally months now, not just saying months because we're three weeks away from release date. But it, I think it was two months ago I saw the first article, like it was in March that I saw the first article about, um, about possible death shortages. And it was, it, was, it was a country in Southeast Asia, right, that, that knew that they were going to run short. So they were trying to scramble around and find more supplies. And there is also something about one of the major exporting countries. I think one of them's Russia, actually. But uh yeah, you know, we've got we've got death shortages, not just in production and availability and feedstock. But if you've been paying attention to what's going on, Union Pacific. Well, it's not just Union Pacific, it's all the major class one railroads are having capacity problems. You know, Union Pacific just happens to be the one I'm gonna pick on. Please don't sue me. Mighty UPAC, I'm actually kind of a fan. You guys have cool trains. Um but more to the point, uh, they just they're just lacking capacity in their system. They're clogged. They don't have enough power, they don't have enough engineers, and they've got too much cargo that needs to move. So what do you prioritize? You know, do you prioritize the consumer goods that are, old, that are extremely high value? Do you, do you send pilot and flying J's diesel fuel and DEF orders to the West Coast? Do you send the grain, the corn to California that they need in the sheep and cow feed lots? because they have to import 70% of their grain over the mountains. You know, what do you do? You do the best you can. And then the government steps in and says, no, Union Pacific, you need to prioritize this type of shipment. They actually did that a few days ago. The Surface Transportation Board told Union Pacific, you will prioritize corn getting to California. Interesting. Yeah. And, and to back that up, so I you know, we talked about, like, this is all public record. Okay. Okay. There was a surface, uh, the the CEO or president or chief operations for Pilot Flying J testified in front of the Surface Transportation Board of Congress and basically said, guys, we're responsible for almost 40% of the diesel fuel and 30% of the diesel exhaust fluid in Western United States. Union Pacific is threatening to embargo us if we do not reduce our shipments. If we reduce our shipments, there's not diesel fuel in death in the West Coast and trucks stop moving. Help us.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Like, um episode uh fact should have been the last episode if I was good with the release schedule with Nick Voss. We talked about, you know, he asked me my plan. He asked me, like, you know, because we rode around all day, a little ranch tour, then we did a studio podcast. So I hope you all enjoyed that one. Um, but at one point during the day, he asked me, you know, what my plan was. How good was I? he said i said what do you mean he said yeah i'm i'm pretty good you know as long as the power goes power stays on i'm fine you know thing, things are cool but when the power goes off we're that's the shortcut to the roving armed gang stage and that's when things get really interesting really fast and that's when we grab our backpacks and go to the cabin <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, i hope it I, never comes to that
1: yeah i i hope so too you just never know like we're in a pretty fragile spot right now and people are on edge and desperate people do desperate things. And
0: yeah, I, I, hope, it, I hope people are seeing the fragility in the system. Like uh, I, yeah. I hope people have been listening for the last six months when I've been saying girl garden, <laughs> you know, like reduce your inputs. I, I don't feel bad about saying anything I've said. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Call me out on it, please.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty thankful I'm not going to have a diesel bill this year from for, from haying or uh, a repair bill from hang. And net wrap net has went up like 50% in price too. And oh, uh, that's fun. Yeah, I'm thank, thankful that I can just graze all that stuff now instead of worrying about haying it.
0: Well, I've, I've never had to worry about haying anything and only just recently <laughs> i've had to worry about buying any hay for anything so it's been uh, kind of nice and hopefully i can hopefully i'll get to a point i'll get my cows to a point where i don't have to worry about much hay anymore just you know just enough around in the event of a fire or a blizzard that they actually that they're not accessible forage mm-hmm. that's the only time i, I want to keep anything around
1: yeah yeah that makes sense but
0: what else is on your list
1: okay i'm uh Got two left. Do you ever broadcast or overseed pastures? Do you ever add any seed into your mineral or do you ever do any broadcast seeding out in front of, like like Hobbs does where he broadcasts out in front of his uh, cattle where they trample it and he kicks them into a paddock?
0: Yeah, we've done that. I've tried. I put some seeds in mineral. I have put it in biochar. I've tried direct sowing we tried sowing in front of the cows, we tried sowing in front of the cows while it was raining at 50,000 pounds per acre stock density um not work yeah, have is, you seen
1: have you seen I, anything
0: I just I, there a little bit like little bits here and there um so it's possible that you know some of the some of the stuff that i put out had very very poor germination because it was old seed okay that's possible. Um nothing I really tried with with any of the the seven or three way blends that I had worked well. Um I know I know I can grow milpa. I grew I grew milpa two good years out there in different little patches. Um and last year I fed the cows some milpa and I threw some out in the pasture in a, you know a couple of wet spots. None of it grew. <laughs> so I um I guess
1: I I I've tried it a little bit too. Uh I try putting in my mineral, and then uh, broadcasting a little bit of seed out in front front of paddock moves, and also spots where I bale graze. And I mean, I've seen a little bit when I put in the mineral. Yeah, there is some germination in in the in the manure, and uh, yeah, I see a few plants. But I've just seen the best results just off of you know short graze periods, long recovery. I've had grasses come up that I didn't even think existed there, and so. I don't know how much
0: more I'm going to spend on seed that. And that's part of the question. Like, okay, so what am I going to seed? What am I going to plant? You know, whether you want to call it uh, virgin prairie, pristine pasture, old growth, grasslands, what am I going to seed? What am I going to do? I mean, everything I want that's native that that's supposed to grow here already grows here. Anything else is imported. I mean, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can go plant sorghum Sudan. Is that going to come back every year? Or am I going to have to plant that every year? Indian grass and big bluestem come back every year. My sweet clover comes back every year. You know, the yellow clover comes back every year. I don't have to do anything to it. I just have to graze it properly. Do you have any Johnson grass? I have I have a little bit in spots. I don't have any massive, massive areas of Johnson grass. Um, I mean... There's there's spots where, you know, it's been disturbed that it grows down a creek. I'm not going to say that it's really spreading and taking over on my place because I kind of understand how to graze it and how to use it.
1: Would you um, welcome more Johnson
0: grass or no. are you scared of it like other people? I'm <laughs> not scared of it. It's just I know my Indian grass is better. Yeah. My what, why grass why, my why big is that better? Is better it's not more volume. I mean, uh, the Johnson grass is going to be more volume, but it's a garbage plant.
1: Yeah. Loses nutrition real quick. And
0: yeah. It loses right. nutrition real quick. It doesn't stay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If that's all you've got and that's only that's, you know, if Johnson grass is the best C4 that you can grow or the best C4 you've ever seen. Yeah. It's probably pretty good stuff. And it probably makes, it probably makes a real good bale. but if it's the best C4 grass you've ever seen, what do you really have any perspective on it i mean yeah i really like my indian grass i really like my big blue stem grass and you know when johnson grass comes in it has a tendency to monoculture it's a tendency to monoculture for a couple years and then it gets established and then it kind of starts to get rank and then you'll start to get other stuff kind of coming up in it you'll start to get some forbes and other stuff in it but it does kind of like the monoculture out interesting um, fun fact i d- I do know something about johnson grass you can graze it to death if you eat it every 21 days <laughs> really every 18 to 21 days you graze it and you can you can really really put pain on it in one year yeah obviously I'm we don't have- graze yeah graze it once come then, back in yeah, of- 18 to 21 days and hammer it then come back in 18 to 21 days and hammer it
1: yeah obviously we don't have any up here but just like trucking down through there especially where it's dry you know the rest of the grass will be this tall and then you'll see johnson grass like five six feet tall you know i'm talking about like in july and it's like wow that's a all the rest of the grass can't grow but that thing is you know that stuff's four or five feet tall
0: yeah it's kind of like you know oh all the way up there in northwest kansas southwest kansas where you know you've been through that part of the world they say it's short grass country oh we can't grow that tall grass out here we can't grow that tall grass out here well then why is it growing in the ditch right next to your pasture <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, why is it growing down by that creek next to your pasture
1: yeah oh, yeah it just always I mean, intrig- it just always intrigued me seeing just seeing how how prolific that stuff can grow uh last question for you what is your choice for for best uh like what do you use for hot wire and then what's your choice for for electric fencer?
0: Oh, okay. Hey, that was that was some stuff that was actually going around TikTok like today, right? I'm not
1: sure. I, yeah, there, I guess
0: there was there were some people there were, I got tagged in a video. I haven't really had time to oh, really? look at it. Yeah, then he was asking about fence. So, um there's there's five wire barbed wire fence all the way around the ranch and then uh, there's major internal subdivisions that are barbed wire. Okay? those were put in over 20 years ago. I'm not going to go rip them out just because I don't like where they are. I'm kind of stuck with them. Yeah. I know that Dave Pratt's probably like getting ready to call me. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't like where it is, take it out, do something else. That's not where you'd put it, move it. I get it. I get it. There's also a labor question and you know, I'm not saying they're in a bad spot there's like maybe a couple modifications i might make or take a section out so i can do something different with with electric fence so four wire internal barbed wire fence i got a lot of that i rely on it so that helps me break up into so let's just say i have i have a four pasture system that's a grazing cell and it has four pastures in it and each and that's a barbed wire boundary and then inside of each pasture there's multiple paddocks that are all electric subdivisions. So my, my semi-permanent electric fence that doesn't ever get moved, I use the 3 8-inch fiberglass post with a steel clip. Why do I use a fiberglass post? Because it's an insulator, not a conductor. It, never, it doesn't make any sense to me if you're going to have a wire that you want to keep hot and your return path is the ground. It doesn't make any sense to hang that return to hang that conductor wire off of another conductor. <laughs> like it doesn't make sense to me. And separate it by you know this little ridiculous you know piece of plastic. It makes a lot more sense to support your conductor on an ins- on something that's insulated. So that's why we use uh, fiberglass post corners. I'll either use a uh, a plastic T post from Timeless Fence out in Missouri. Um, you can find them on the web, but you got to call the guy to order. And they're kind of high, like by the time you buy a steel T, by the time you buy one of his plastic fence posts, you can buy a steel T post. But it's a steel T post, not a plastic one. Okay, Um, they're pretty good. I use them where I have to make a corner or where like the fence goes down through a bottom. I'll use those on top and in the bottom just for extra support. And so there's holes on the spine of these T posts. I don't put the wire through. I figured out how to bend uh, a piece of 14 gauge through the hole back around the front of the post. And then to make two wraps around my fence wire. So it holds the fence wire. It's supported vertically, horizontally. It can't go anywhere, but the wire, my fence wire is still floating inside and it can go back and forth and it won't grab the post or, or, or catch the post. <clears throat> I hope that made sense to everybody listening. I was using a lot of hand gestures on the video to explain it to Trevor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also use a lot of wood posts. I'll use like a four-inch creosote post. And a lot of those, I'll either do the same trick with a wire and then you know make some curly cues around the around the fence wire, or I'll drill a quarter-inch hole all the way through that fence post and put the wire through. Um, that's a that's a good trick to do it like a gate on an end-of-run gate where you're coming up to the barbed wire. So you set your wood post, you run your wire through it, and you get your gate handle set up. Okay. So now the trick to do is you go back over that wood post and you get one of those Gallagher split bolts that you can go to Orsland's or Tractor Supply and get. Okay. I know you've seen them in the package. Everybody listening to this podcast has probably been there at least once looking at the Gallagher stuff that they sell at Tractor Supply and, and at Orsel's. Okay. They have these little blister packs. They're called split bolts. They're fantastic. They're not so great on poly wire, but they're fantastic on the wire that I use for fence wire. And I haven't said anything about it. And I'm about to. So I use a really small diameter cable. It's like a, it's made in China. And if anybody wants, I can find the uh, the actual tag, or I'll take a picture off the tag, and maybe I'll put that as the episode cover or something. But it's a it's a very specific cable. It's like 1.9 millimeters diameter, so it's really really small, and it's galvanized steel. And the roll is. 10,000 feet or whatever the next even meter equivalent is to about 10,000 feet, and a roll is $400. $400 for two miles of this wire. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, so that makes a really, really cheap fence to build. Now, the next question that people are going to have is, well, Brian, where can I get this Miracle Wire that's only $400 for two miles? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I've been buying it at my conservation district. And it's made in China, and they report they've been having problems getting it for a while. So I'm sure there's somebody out there that's talented that knows how to operate a search engine that can go on Alibaba and look for a 1.9 millimeter cable on basically a 10,000 foot spool and get a per pallet price and figure out where to get it. At least if I needed some, that's what I would do. <laughs> so now you're probably wondering, okay, you smug bastard, why don't you need any? Well, I don't need any because I have 12. I have 12 spools sitting in a shop in case I need them on a rainy day. (laughs) I had a little bit of money one day and I was like, screw it. I'm gonna buy all the fence that I'm probably ever gonna need, just so I know that I have it because it was there. They had extra, just gotten in a new pallet. I'm gonna go buy a bunch. So I've got my supply. I've got enough to build what I got building coming up. Past that, I might have to find something different if we can't get it from China. So that being said. I like that cable because it's light, it's small, it's easy to fix. It's not high tensile, okay? That high tensile like wire, that high tensile hard wire. I mean, that breaks. It turns into a giant slinky. It get hit. It gets hit by lightning. You got to go buy a new energizer. My cable gets hit by lightning. I got to splice in 300 yards. My cable breaks. I can grab I can grab it with two pairs of pliers and tie a square knot in it without turning the fence off. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. So I can it's easier for me to work with. The fittings are cheaper. The wires cheaper. I mean, it's it's a win all around for me versus the high tensile that that seems to be pretty common. And yeah, there's places where you know it's got a lot of sag in between the posts. And you know that wire goes down. You know, and it's barely knee high in the grass. When you keep it at 10,000 volts, the cattle don't walk over it. <laughs> like, they don't even try. So, what, what do you use for an energizer? Cyclops, Taylor Cyclops energizers, solar backed up by, uh, by deep cycle batteries. And I, I know a lot of, I see a lot of guys make an energizer recommendation for lots and lots of jewels. And I get why. But everybody's 2.5 joule energizer is not the same. Nobody talks about how fast their energizers hit. Okay, And the reason I like a Taylor is they hit twice as fast as a speed rate. They hit over twice as fast as a Gallagher. So if you're talking the difference between a pulse every half of a second versus every second and a quarter, how far can that cow move in a second and a quarter versus how far can she move in a half of a second? Doesn't sound like much, but that's a half a step. That half a step is half the length of a cow. That's halfway under your fence. So if she goes up and touches that fence and doesn't get shocked for a second and a half, she might be halfway under it before that charger delivers a the shock. Then where's it going to deliver the shock? Behind the shoulders. What's she going to do? Run forward. Mm-hmm. Yep. If your charger's fast, she's going to get hit in front of the shoulders and she's going to back up. Yeah. Like yeah that's you, a great point. You talk about yearlings. You can see that on yearlings. Oh, yeah. When you're trying, when you're trying to hotwire break yearlings, there is that you're uh, – I, I was trying to hotwire break some yearlings on a, on a SpeedRite charger. And I was watching them. They would walk up to it, put their nose on it, and then just keep walking. They'd take two steps and then get a shock. Like, what the hell? That ain't right. I went and I grabbed my other speed, right? thought maybe it's just a flat battery. Grab the other one, the identical one. Put it on there. Same thing. Literally the exact same thing. I went and I grabbed one of my tailors. Put it on there. They walk up. And before they even think about taking that second step, they get popped on the nose and go backwards. So there's something to be said about not just a hot energizer, but a fast energizer
1: yeah I, I i have pretty much all speed rights right now but uh yeah I, i'd like to try a couple of the the taylor cyclops
0: they're they're really good units I, they're good units and they're made in america like taylor's are actually made in america speed rights i think come from new zealand or something which uh-huh. but there's anything wrong with all the fine folks in new zealand both of you <laughs> there that listen to the podcast. you're great people i'm sure um but yeah, I, I I still think the Taylor Cyclops, I think that's the I think that's the best energizer on the market right now. When I when I started, um, I had some IntelliShock energizers. And I think they came from Germany. And you want to talk about fast. Those suckers, I mean, it was like boom, 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 boom. My Taylors are kind of like pow, pow, pow. Those Intel Shocks. You train I could train anything in like two days the hot wire because they were just <laughs> they were hot and they were fast. Um, but every once in a while they'd burn out. There was like a little component on the main board that would burn out and you could send them in and get them repaired. The last time I was actually able to get one repaired was 10 years ago, and just slowly they just slowly kept, you know, slowly cycled on out of the cycled out and I replaced them. The first two that I bought when my when I had to retire Intel shocks is I bought those two speed rides. And they're okay. They're not a training energizer. <laughs> so they're they're on the backup line. I mean, uh-huh. we're a lot of use right now because we're not training anything. And you know, right now the cows will stay in behind dental floss if they think I've got a if they think I had a nine volt battery hooked up to it, they'd stay behind dental floss.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's always fun when you get them to that point where uh you can fool them every once in a while without having to worry about it. <laughs>
0: Or you go out one day and you actually test the fence and you're like, uh, there's no voltage on the fence and you run around in a panic and you go back to the charger and the charger's not hooked up or turned on. You go, oh, <laughs> my bad. Yeah, done that. <laughs> but you it's ever move it's cow- awesome if
1: everything stays in still.
0: You ever move cows into a pasture and forget to close barbed wire gate?
1: Oh, yeah, I actually, yeah. Yep, I've done that more often than I'd like to admit.
0: <laughs> we did that one... uh Yep. We did that one a little over a week ago. It was, it was a Friday move. We were kind of like, all right, this is it. Let's get them in there and get things wrapped up. So we go enjoy the weekend. And I came out Saturday morning and they were all where they weren't supposed to be. So I spent a couple hours Saturday morning putting them back
1: because I forgot
0: to close the gate and it's 100% on me. I forgot to close that gate.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. That's always worse, but yeah, well, that's all the, that's all the questions I got for you
0: what huh. uh well, we've only been going for like almost two hours. You want to keep going? <laughs> sure as well. <long. laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I I said it earlier, but uh I think I think I think you're just knocking knocking things out of the park uh with the podcast and especially with the guests you've been able to to get on lately. I think they've been uh informative and uh yeah, even if you don't agree with them, just multiple different viewpoints and having the conversation I think is really valuable.
0: Well, it goes back to something that that Don said, and I think it was actually after the interview wrapped. He said that you know we've got to we've got to meet the other side. We can't just we can't just yell at these people that we think are doing it wrong. We've got to communicate. We've got to bring everybody to the table. If we don't, we're going to lose our industry. We're going to lose our industry, and not just our industry. We're going to lose our way of life. Which I think, when you get right down to it, that's that's more important to most of us. Than the industry is is our way of life, living on the land with the land, with animals. Like that's what drives me. Cattle industry yeah. is just a way to make that work, right? The beef industry is just a way, just a way to fund that. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: like I, 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 one of the things, like I said, that the selling the cows things was, was tough but not having to, to worry about selling my calves to the feedlot every fall. That was my least, probably my least favorite part of the cow calf deal was, you know, knowing that I needed to, to, you know, keep up on that treadmill, that debt treadmill that I needed to take that check from the feed lots every fall, you know, even though that's not the type of system I wanted to, to work in. So I guess, and then feeling like you're playing against the stack deck every year in that system, like you're never, you're never going to get ahead. So, I guess even though that was a real hard decision, that's one one of one of the things that I'm looking forward to is just not worrying about having, you know, not worrying about what I'm going to get, and not not worrying about having to 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 fit somebody else's ideal, what somebody else is looking for. And I guess with custom grazing, I can just gra- graze things the way I want. Um, don't have to deal with
0: that anymore. <sighs> I'm thinking of something else that being said. And like, like I said earlier, you know, I was talking about that interview with somebody else yesterday at length. Um, but that 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 part that got a little bit heated between Don and I, where he was saying, you got to know your customer, you gotta know your customer, you oh, gotta yeah. know your customer. He's 100 percent right. And and I'm not even like I'm not even offended at his attitude or the pushback that I got. When we were having that part of the discussion, because his customer is not my customer, and my customer yep. is not his customer. And that's why, you know, that's why I can have that conversation with that man. And I can agree to disagree with him on certain things. His customer is not my customer. His customer is the feedlot, his customer is the packing plant. My customer is somebody that wants to buy beef off my ranch, that wants to buy from me because of how I take care of my cattle and how I take care of my land.
1: Yeah, you know absolutely. your
0: customer. You know what value you provide to your customer. That's part of what we go through in the whole ranching for profit executive link thing is what value do you provide to your customers? Right. Yeah. And that's a question we all need to be asking is what, you know, why am I here? Not just what, you know, what is the owner benefit value of this business, but what is the customer value benefit of this business? Why do I do this business with these customers? You know,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And in custom grazing, your uh, let's just say the, uh, the the customer satisfaction targets are easy to meet. <laughs> Generally,
1: yeah, cows look fat, cows look calves look healthy, everyone's good,
0: and I'm I can I can sure do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's pretty easy to keep cows alive in the summer, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh. Well, I'm ready to get out of here. If you are, I yeah,
1: think we got a good episode.
0: Good.
1: Yeah, no, I do too. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed uh, interviewing you a little bit. Some some questions that I've I've had uh, that I've been wondering uh, here for a while. So,
0: yeah, it was a lot of fun. And you know, I I know a lot of folks have been asking for asking some of these questions that uh, that you've asked today, and we kind of covered. And I'm glad we did, because um, I don't always get a chance to share all of my thoughts. And I'm sure I left. Mm-hmm. I probably left 90% out anyway, but uh <laughs> what happens. We'll just have to do another one, I guess. Yeah. Hell yeah. Anytime. All right. Well, I, uh, I guess we can go ahead and wrap up. You want to sign off? Well,
1: uh, yeah. I guess you guys have been listening to Ranch and Reboot We're here with Brian Alexander and Trevor Burian. And thanks everybody for listening and tune in next week.
0: Yep. Have a great week, gang. We'll see you. <laughs>